This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hi, Chris. How are you? Can you hear me okay? I sure can. How are you doing? I'm good. It's been a very, very busy Sunday. That's <laughs> the first day of the week here, so it's been quite quite something, to say the least. Uh, hopefully a good busy and not like a, you know, a, a terrible, horrible, like just, you know, like hopefully it's a fun busy at least. I know I know. after this you've got a, you've got a reading, right? Yeah, yeah. We're launching our next uh, print book at Fahmi Dan with Elizabeth Bates, so that's something we're excited for that very cool well then we will get started so you can get prepared for that so we always like to start things off on tpq20 by saying that we know who you are but our audience might be new to you so if you were to kind of give that bio that your uh your uh the back of your books don't include doesn't include or you know you don't have sure. on your website who are you uh well my name is ar salandi or anthony or anthony Whatever floats your boat is what I say to people. It's a dual national in me across the pond. Um, but I am a writer, an author, a sociologist, poet. Uh, I'm many things, I guess, is what I always say to people. But what I like to say is I am not uh, overly fixated on my identity. I'm just a person like anyone else. Um, I guess something interesting about me is I went paragliding in Nepal when I was 12. That's something cool. Um, <laughs> And something that I'm really interested in is politics, believe it or not, although I don't tend to get that political, but I am very, very into politics. All right. Well, that gives us some things to start with. So uh, now you are you are a person of several different uh, locations. So I know that. Um, but actually, let's start with the last thing you said here. Let's talk about paragliding real quick. Uh, how was paragliding? How scary was it? um and yeah tell me about that that sounds exciting well um my mom decided to go out to nepal in 2013 and you know i it was really last minute that i actually joined my mom and my uh paternal grandma and going to nepal and it was an experience you know because i think going to nepal and and um when we landed in the airport was you know a really big open field-esque airport and you know i i've been to sri lanka before but it felt a lot more modern than nepal did running into Kathmandu and seeing, you know, like garbage being burned and um, like just, you know, cattle walking around. It was a very um, culturally different experience than I've ever had uh, before to up to that point and probably till now as well. Um, but yeah, the paragliding kind of just came about. I kind of just said to my mom in Pokhara, which is about seven hours drive from Kathmandu, you know, let's do it. I, I just, I felt adventurous. Um, I was one of those kids that was like unstoppable, like in that regard, you know, I was, um, I was quite overweight at that point too. I was getting sicker with my thyroid and I just thought, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go for the experience. And I did, I did. And I, we jumped off cliff. It was 2000 feet, I believe, yeah, something like that, two, 3000 feet. 
And I convinced my mom to go too. Um, and we had about an hour of this. And I actually started vomiting like halfway through because I decided to eat too much. Um, you know, the fat kid in me was like, no, I'm going to have a big breakfast and not listen to the advice. And yeah, it was it was a hell of an experience because you see all the little cows that look like ants. Did they scream like look out below as the vomit is flowing from the I mean it was so high up and you're like going over all these like rice fields and um the river, I forget what it was called. Sorry, the lake in Pokhara, Nepal. Um there's a name for it. My mom will probably tell me after this. But yeah, you just see all these cows and things and it's so high up. It just yeah, you see the birds like flying next to you, like aerodynamically gliding, and it's just so it was so surreal and I, my instructor was, was had this like really positive approach he was Serbian too and he had a really like um there was there's a similar uh proverb he mentioned that we have uh, my Polish family used a lot too I can't remember at this point but it was it's really calmed me down and I remember when I started to feel sick he turned to the left and I turned to the right and we had to have this balancing act um, I still have the photo somewhere, funnily enough, in the video, but oh, it was crazy. an experience. Oh, there's a I definitely So there's here. a video of you throwing up at 2,000 feet. Yes. Level. Yes, awesome. there is. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. So um, where, uh, so I guess, where does your love of poetics come from? So I guess at, at that early age, what was kind of the catalyst where you, you know, was there like an early poet that you were maybe read as a, as a young child or what was it that kind of at least, you know, sparked that idea that, you know, poetry sounds good? Where did you, where did that start? Well, I, I have to say, as much as this is kind of an unpopular opinion, I think it's genetic. Um, because my mom's side of the family, they're all very Englishy. They all went into English and went into literature. I mean, my grandmother was a lecturer until she was 66. Um, and I have aunts who, you know, went into further studying at doctoral level. English literature and, and poetics and things like that. But the irony of that is I never really had that support from them. I never really, um, I wasn't, my extended family aren't, uh, you know, we're not very close. We're not one of those big close families that um, I like to say care about each other. I'm okay with saying this because I think it's, I think there's, there's truth to it. And, and recently speaking to a lot of other poets, I've noticed that that's a common theme. Um, and, and it's not without wanting to be close. I just think um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you know, familial politics and dynamics that play into yeah. things, especially when you're mixed, it adds an extra dimension of weirdness, um, to keep it, to keep it kind of, uh, PC. Um, so, I mean, I always had that influence, I guess that was there, like the month or so a year I saw these people, but I never like got into their writing or anything. And then my grandmother, funnily enough, in 2020, before I had my first chap published, uh, whom I dedicated it to was really surprised. She was like, I didn't think, you know, you'd go into poetry because I wasn't a literature, like, I'm not the, the class of literature student. I mean, I got A's and B's throughout literature in the British system, which is, is, is quite a bit different to the American A and B standard, but it's, I wasn't, you know, top notch literature. It just, it, I never had supportive teachers. I never had, I never had that liter literary support. But my one thing I will always say is that my parents really encouraged me to read. Um, and I'm not a fiction person. Most of my poetry actually is in fiction um, and has a lot of like theoretical elements to it and, and nonfiction, but people pick up on those metaphors. So I kind of just roll with it. Um, so yeah, I, it's, I think for me, I can't really say it was specific people. I think it just kind of flows um, because I, I just write, you know, and I, I don't set times to write. I don't, um, yeah, I don't have any specific influences. I just, I just write and enjoy it and 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and as somebody who kind of lives in a couple of different genres, because, um, you know, you've got your you've got your novel world and you've got your poetry world. And and then because, you know, because of the political background or, you know, the political aspirations and because of uh, the sociological side of things, I assume there's a lot of different types of writing that come along with this. So how are you able to compartmentalize things? Is there like, do you save certain things and certain ideas that are just for, you know, novels, just for short stories, or are there, you know, ideas that you keep just for poetry? And then I guess the big arcing question is, do the politics and sociology side of things find their way into all of it? Um, well, I'll start with the last question first, because they definitely do. Um, I'm a very, very big advocate of postmodern theory um, in the sense that postmodernism argues that, you know, there really is no grandiose narrative that is the truth anymore. There is no truth that's just so blatantly subjective. We're constantly in a, in a hyper real world where everything is simulations of something else. Everything's constantly changing. So I'm always very critical of people who, who claim to be... Um, uh, I don't know what the term is, the kind of PC term, but like who claim to be really supportive of everyone's rights, but then are so entrenched in their own views. Because I say like, you know, there's a difference between having personal views. Like I have a lot of personal views that I know I'd be crucified for on literary Twitter, even if it's just like my personal upbringing, oh, you know, like having, Twitter. Oh man. <laughs> you know, having views like that, you know, like for example, like I'm, I'm quite openly, you know, a Catholic, for example, I have my disagreements with Catholicism and I don't decide, you know, bar the grandiose political political religious view of the faith I see faith as a personal thing I was having this conversation with another poet recently and we had a really good conversation and this poet was an atheist but they recognize that you can have views that you don't put on to others but are just personal and I think that that's a problem nowadays so I think yes sociology does is a very big part of my life um I was fortunate enough to do it from uh, the age of 14 for my IGs. And then at A-level, I got an award from Cambridge uh, for my A-level. I had a high achievers award. Absolutely loved it. It was my highest grade uh, in both my sets of high school exams. And during my degree, I just, I wouldn't change it for the world. I think everyone should be forced to take sociology, even just on a basic level. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is that I don't really uh, segment per se. I think my short stories tend to be more based off of um, different reflections in, in conversations. Um, I always love the phrase, um, no sumus in colloquium, uh, which means uh, we are in a conversation in Latin because it was one of the first phrases I learned in Latin. And it also is interesting, I find, because I think having a conversation is a process. It's not just something that we do in passing as much as it feels that way. Right. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say I, I segment, I just think that I try to give people perspective. I try to say, okay, well, if you are, you know, uh, if you have specifically entrenched views and you try to put them on other people, what gives you the right to do that? Um, you know, and, and I'm quite liberal in, in that regard. I'm, I'm quite a lefty when it comes to people's social views. And I think that everyone is entitled to a perspective. I just think we have to agree on it as a society that there are certain things like homophobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, racism, uh, sexism, which I write about consistently that should just be universally uh, acknowledged as horrible um, so yeah so where does the politics fit in for you what uh, what gets you going for the political side of things I know I know from talking to you obviously over the last year or so that that is very important to you and what's awesome is I think 
a lot of the there's been a handful of interviews lately of poets that I've talked to where um, there's a push now for kind of poets to move into more policy work as well, like kind of put their put their, you know, their their words uh, into actual action um, versus just kind of as a conversation starter. So for you, um, where does the political bent come from uh, and uh, where does that kind of find how do you kind of find your your way through that with your writing as well? Well, um, truth be told, I have quite divergent political views, but I'm part of a growing part of my generation that is. Um, I see I wrote about this in my dissertation. I'm trying to get it published because all uh, to give, give a brief you know reason as to why I'm saying what I'm going to say is. Yeah. All my participants were women and all of them were from my generation and all my participants did the same thing, which was they feel a categorical political divide with the millennial generation. So, you know, and I, I know that that's, you know, taboo to say, but I know that most of my generation now is kind of, we're kind of siding with Gen X more, which is interesting to see that, that gap. Um, and having Gen X parents, I can say that, yeah, I can see there's reasoning behind that. But I think that politically for me, like, I have quite um, a reasonably good, I'd say, grasp of economics, right? So, you know, I, I always say to people, I don't believe in tax and spend. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the right way to do things. I'm, you know, I've, I've experienced relative deprivation. I have experienced not having money for food. I have experienced suffering. I understand that, you know, life is hard. Capitalism has a lot of faults, 100%, you know? I'd say that I'm really interested in neo-Marxism, but I'm definitely not a socialist or a Marxist. So it's one of those things. It's, it's, I'd say to people I'm quite centrist, but when it comes to economics, I do believe that we have to find a way as a society to go, okay, well, the myth of growth forever is, is BS, right? But we do have to also say, you know, there is space for individual growth and for, you know, meritocratic development. And I think that I, I'm always for equality of opportunity, but I'm not for equality of outcome. Uh, as someone who's, you know, doesn't come from generational wealth, uh, has multiple autoimmunes, who is, you know, marginalized on so many levels, I just feel that I have, in some ways, had to work unfairly uh, within the system, like to keep, you know, being treated unjustly as a result of that oppression and different. But I also believe that that hard work will pay off. And I think that we're, we're in a society now where people expect immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I'm all for that. I, there are many things I've worked for in my life that have taken years. I was notorious for it at school. I, I, I did music theory when I was in year 11 and 12. So this is 17, 18. Mm -hmm. um, I was quite old doing it, but I did exceptionally well doing it because I took my time. Right. And I took you know, the extra years to figure it out and to get those distinction grades rather than just passing when I was in year four or five, for example, when most people take it. So I think it's it's all about finding um, a good middle ground, you know? And, and I think now we're, we're in a we're in a society where everything's, you know, uh, politics of identity and everyone wants to, to, to splinter into their own group and to feel a sense of, um, uh, uh, you know, independence from other people, a sense of uniqueness, but in the same way, a sense of being part of a group. It's, it's quite dichotomous yet, simultaneously you know intertwined it's really strange because I think that people are so focused on being different and finding difference that we we've lost our common humanity so for me I'd say the politics gets involved I, I'm quite a sensible person I'm pragmatic pragmatic as hell um my <laughs> boss is 
our bosses at various literary institutions and elsewhere will all tell you Anthony's a pragmatist. I'm not going to give you a, you know, a yes, we can Obama 08 attitude because no, we can't in the system right. right now. I'd rather be honest and work for something better. You have to play the system to be the system. Mm. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I believe. Pragmatism is the way forward. Well, okay. So then going with, going with your, like the political concepts as well, knowing that, um, you know, knowing that you have been the person who has well lived as far as different locations um, and, and kind of different ideologies because of the different locations. Um, and, uh, you know, do you, do you feel that you are, well, I guess here's the question. Since this is something that you've been doing for a long time now, and given that you're so young, which feels odd to say you've been doing, you know, you've been doing these things for so long, has your have your ideologies changed because of the locations you've lived in or because of your, you know, your familial background? Do you feel that, um, you know, your political views, because they seem to come from different sides and the idea of, you know, the Catholic liberal is always uh, is always an odd uh, an odd dichotomy as well. So who I guess who have you become because of your politics? Well, I'd have to say that it, it's interesting, you know, because my parents are really I, was, I, I wouldn't say they're quite hippie parents, but they you know they always <laughs> say that I grew I grew up with them. You know what I mean? My parents are are, are quite open minded, um, and you know I, I I have very few things that I I. Um, haven't been able to share with my parents growing up. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed to have a very, very open relationship with my parents um, in that regard. So I, I always, I said this to, to a colleague recently, I, I don't really feel that my family has shaped my views in the sense that I've always been quite outspoken and um, I can suss the BS essentially before it's it's steaming, if, if, that, if that makes sense. Hey, we, all have um, we all have a bullshit meter, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people where like, you know, if I disagree with my mom or my dad, I'm going to tell them straight up. Or if I think they're doing something wrong, I know wrong, I'm going to tell them because I think, um, you know, politics and, and identity views are not only unique, but we need to have discussions about them. So I'd say living in different locations has really changed my perspective in the sense that Growing up when I was, you know, really little, I still remember quite a lot of it as I left um, Virginia when I was about three and a half. Uh, we came back to Kuwait during the tail end of the second Gulf War. Mm. Um, when I was there, I, I just, I, I remember, I have memories of, of the struggle of living in the United States and, and you know, my parents being obviously, you know, different racial backgrounds um, and, and different identities and ethnicities and how that impacted both their familial relationships and their politics and their beliefs uh, growing up and being, you know, young parents in their, their mid-20s. Um, it was, it's definitely had an impact on my views and my perspectives in terms of life, less so on politics. When it comes to the United Kingdom, for example, I, you know, I'm quite well read on the history. So I tend to disagree with people who like to um, kind of make it a party thing, you know, because I can go back to the early 1900s and say, okay, well, X, Y, Z is why we're in this situation now. Like, you know, like people, for example, don't realize that Thatcher was a consequence of labor economic mismanagement or that the labor government of the 2000s was a consequence of failed conservative policy. You know, people don't like to look at the ramifications. They like to pick sides yeah. and, and, and start fights and, and culture and identity wars. And, I, and I'm not for that. Um, I, I'm too pragmatic for that. I think we can all get along. We can all disagree, but we have to have more bipartisanship um, in an era where we're constantly growing further and further apart. 
Um, and, and I think so much of my background, like I was raised with Islam and Christianity, and I say I'm a Catholic because I've, that's just where I found God, <laughs> yeah. to keep it simple, right? Um, you know, I mean, reading the Old Testament, reading the New Testament, reading the Apocrypha, um, reading all these things and taking the time to understand them, I think that that um, has really shaped my view of the world. But at the same time, I'm very secular in my political views. Uh, growing up somewhere where everything is very religious and, you know, the influence of that on law is not necessarily positive, to say it in a PC way, um, is really, really, uh, you know, has really, really shaped my view. So I think in terms of like American politics, I'm, if I could vote independent, I would, otherwise I'm a reluctant Democrat. <laughs> that's, the best way, that's the best way to put it. I, because, think, in today, I think in today's yeah. world, that's, that's, yeah, that is the best way we can put it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, kind of shifting gears back to the whole world of writing. Uh, you mm -hmm. are somebody who has published over 200 pieces uh, in the last, you know, let's say, what, three and a half years. Um, are you the same poet that you were 200 pieces ago? Not at all. Um, I, I said this um, I said this to a friend recently. I think, I think when I look back at the first, let's say, 50 to 70 publications, I think, what is this trash? Because I didn't grasp, you know, I'm, 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 I'm characteristically hard on myself. People have always said that, but I'm hard on myself because I believe in doing better. It's, it's not a, it's not a, a like a, um, it's not like a, a mental health thing. It's more just like, I like to constantly progress and I like mm -hmm. to be really critical so that I can learn, um, you know, which again is an unpopular belief in this era, but I always tend to be the anomaly and I'll stick with it till I die. But um, yeah, I think that there is, you know, I was given a lot of opportunities early in my career and I'm forever grateful and indebted for them. But I think now my writing uh, has benefited not only for, from some criticism, well, I say criticism about 17, 1800 rejections now, but it, it's benefited from, uh, you know, just people being honest. You know, I, I don't, I, I didn't have teachers. I didn't, I don't have an MFA. I don't have a master's. I don't have uh, professors and, and, and loads of support and you know a lot of a lot of poets we don't recognize uh, come from money and come from wealth and come from families who who have literary backgrounds that have influenced them directly. Now although I can say I have literary influence in my family, I've never had that connection. Unfortunately, I never had that support or that interest. Um, and, and in some ways, I think you know that that's kind of sad. But in some ways, I think that you know it's made me who I am because I've actually had to work independently in every single way for every acceptance, every book, every chapbook, every, every, you know, um, submittable upvote. And, and it's tough, you know, but I think now my writing is transitioning more um, into something different. I'm getting more into flash fiction, uh, which has been cool. I was uh, honor, honorary mentioned a few days ago in the Dilly doing flash fiction competition for three cool. pieces, which was really nice. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I'm just taking the time to see where I'm at, reassessing, and hopefully, you know, um, I keep improving. But yeah, no, definitely a completely different writer. half Bright is several <laughs> steps above the great northern journey, to be frank. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, obviously, uh, you know, being, you know, as, as co-editor of the Poetry Question with my, with my wife, Courtney, you know, the, and, and looking at all of the books we had come through, um, you know, half Bright was was just f from poem one uh it was one of those ones that we, we just had to keep reading and it never it never kind of left the the top of the pile 
Um, and you know, we, we love your work because it is honest. Um, you tell a story, uh, you're not afraid to say what needs to be said. Um, even in, if it needs to be, you know, even if it doesn't rely on a metaphor to say it, uh, you, you have the knack of being a fairly blunt poet, um, because you have something to say that, that people, you know, that it just felt like people needed to listen to the words inside your work. Um, so, you know, we fell in love with, we fell in love with you and your work immediately. Um, and it's, it's awesome because, you know, since I, since we, since we put out Half Bread, uh, we've gone back and, you know, I've read, I, I hope I've read most of your work at this point that I found online. So, and I definitely see the growth in what you've been doing. And I love that. Um, as we move toward the end, who are the poets that you love right now? Who are you reading? Who are you just, who are you, who are you publishing over at Famadon uh, that you're falling in love with? Um, and outside of that, who are those that you just, that you really enjoy? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I really appreciate the contemporary literary scene. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing more unique voices come through than we have in the past. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, Fahmi Dan really works to amplify, you know, marginalized voices. I think, uh, you know, uh, we always, the whole team always jokes about this, but, you know, uh, Chris Al Butler is the only man we've ever published um, <laughs> at Fahmi Dan Publishing in Co. Uh, and it's not intentional. We've all vote, you know, the team, we're all very, we're all friends. We're all very close and we all work very hard to make sure we make fair decisions, you know? Um, you know, there have been times, for example, that I've been in the minority for my vote and we've gone with the group vote or vice versa. You know, it's just the way it is. Um, so I'd say I'm, I'm proud of all our authors and I think that they're doing great. I mean, personally, um, I've had, I have the pleasure right now of working with uh, Jenny Delo. Uh, with you guys, technically, or Congratu indirectly. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That is amazing. Uh, yeah, the Brown study is truly. I mean, it's uh, for for me, it's one of the greatest things that we that we put out. And Jenny Jenny Delo is is such a master uh, of craft. So congratulations on on uh, Thank joining you. the Brown study team. Thank you. Now I'm very excited to be you know on. I mean, I've I've been with Jenny now for about what two three weeks. We've been working on the October installment and. Uh, another another poet I've, I've just loved is Joan Juan Glass. I mean, I've just written a review of her Night Swim, and you know, I there are very few poetry collections I have felt extremely emotional about, yeah. but none have made me feel the way Joan's did. Um, because I, I always say to people, I'm quite stoic with death. I I, I accept death. I I'm very uh, comfortable with the idea of it. I think it happens to everyone. It's a natural thing whether you're an atheist, you're a Hindu, Jewish, Christian, whatever your views are, I think death is just assured. So we shouldn't fear it. You know, I have quite a, again, another pragmatic view to death. Yeah. So um, reading it was just heart-wrenching because the way that that Joan crafts her writing and, and also seeing another mixed race writer write so uh, genuinely and so like powerfully, it's just, yeah, I'm a big advocate for seeing, jo you know. Joan is truly life experience yeah. on a page. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I just feel like I, I can't wait to meet Joan. I, I have to meet Joan at some point. I was saying this to her in an email. I have to make sure that in the next year or two, I get my ass to the States and we meet and have a long hey, conversation. You know, AWP is coming up uh, yeah. know, in, in March. Yeah, so. no, it's definitely something I want to try to fit in, <laughs> um, you know, if I can cope with the 30 hours of flying. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time actually I haven't been back to the States now for it will be 10 years next summer 
So I think I need to, I need to see my home state. I need to get back. I mean, I, I miss being in, in the Arizona air. Um, yeah, there's something about it. But, you know, I, I think a lot of the, the poets I enjoy now are, are challenging and disrupting narratives. Mm. And they're taking new approaches to topics like grief and mourning. And, and Joan does that so, so delicately, but verbosely simultaneously. I, I, it's just, I, I cried, you know, and I'm, I'm not the most emotional person. I will say that I'm, I'm quite known for it. Um, I'm very opinionated, but not emotional. Um, I guess that's the Libra in me, but I do feel that Joan really takes this, 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 this almost, uh, it's just so unique and so delicate and, and but powerful uh, way of, of, of writing about her lived experiences. And that's something I just love. But there's many, many, many poets I'm really enjoying right now. And writers, Maria Polkan's great. Um, she's too many to count. Obviously, we're publishing Shiksha Data. Um, and wow. she was in uh, Daily Drunk. We love Shiksha's writing. Um, you know, we've, we're publishing Elizabeth Bates. Right now, we've just come out. We're working with Tanya and Mandira Patnik and so many other fantastic writers. So, you know, we're really just hoping to keep going. Um, obviously, running an indie publishing house is hell sometimes. Right. I I wouldn't change what we do, but you know, it, we're, especially when you're not funded, it can be a challenge, yeah. but we're very, very glad. It's a, it's a um, labor of love is what we have to say, right? It's all yes, it's, it's a labor, it's a labor of love <laughs> and it's many late nights freaking out about formatting on Lulu, but it's, um, it's definitely an experience, but I, I, I do think that we're very blessed in the sense that we're able to do these things as a team and to work with so many talented writers. And on that note, I will say as well that we're open for full-length submissions and for journal submissions. Oh, okay. So if you're hearing this, submit. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Love it. So then as we as we wrap things up here, where can we, uh, I mean, I know where you can find some of your work, but where can we find your work and what is coming up next? Well, um, I am constantly submitting out full lengths and really, really pushing for that. So here's hoping for that. I recently wrote my first flash fiction collection uh, during my trip, which is cool, because um, four pieces have already been like shortlisted or honorable mentioned or or something along those lines in, in two different competitions, which has been really cool. So yeah, I have some flash fiction coming out in the next few months and a few more poems as well. And um, of course, you can find Half Bread at TPQ, the poetry question which I'd love for you to check out hearing this. And you can check out some of the great graphics I recently made on my page. Ooh. So yeah, I mean, I'm quite accessible. I also have my website with all my publications. Um, yeah, I also love when writers reach out to me. So message me, talk about your writing, tell me something new or ask me a question. I'm always there. I love supporting the community. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me on TPQ20 today. Uh, it is it is an honor to talk to you always. Uh, we love your work. Half Bread is one of our absolute favorite books. Uh, we've you know we've we've only put out a short a short handful, but Half Bread is definitely uh, it it definitely holds a place in our heart. Uh, so thank you so much for allowing us to publish your work, um, and thank you so much for hanging out with us. And we look forward to sending people your direction and seeing what comes next. Have a great rest of the day. Likewise, thank you so much, Chris. Take care. Take care. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, 
rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.